Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast that's passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskin, and for the next two episodes, I'm back out and about for another Scran on the Road special. I headed out west to the Isle of Isla to discover more about the food and drink scene there. A whiskey lover's pilgrimage, this small island is known as the Queen of the Hebrides. And on visiting for the first time, I was keen to find out what was on offer out with the main whisky names. I also wanted to find out how the island has coped over the last year and a half without its bustling tourism, and what visitors can expect now that we can travel there again. On this episode, I focus on a small part of the food and drink scene on Isla and speak to head chef at the Macri Hotel, Darren Velvick, retired fisherman turned sea tour guide, Harold Tasting, and owner of Glenegadale House, Emma Clark. Coming up, Darren talks about what it was like moving from Dubai to Isla. I'd say it's quite a healing place. It's so calm, just sit by the sea for an hour and watch the sunset. You know, there's not much more beautiful than that. You know, it's just, uh, or even in the morning when you're doing breakfast, you see the sun rising over the mountains. It's just like, wow, it couldn't be anywhere better. (laughs) Not really. Harold tells us why he thinks Isla has such a draw for tourists. Well, I think think we've got beautiful scenery and I think it's the people that make Isla as well, you know. We're so friendly. Everybody loves coming to Isla. And we've got all these lovely distilleries too. So that's a big draw as well. But And the wildlife, of course, as well. Emma discusses her Isla upbringing, moving home, and what it's like to have reopened to guests. Seeing people just enjoy themselves and be out and about and chatting. Everybody wants to talk a lot longer. Everything takes longer. But just having those conversations with guests, visitors, people that you see in the street, it's just so lovely. It's such an amazing feeling seeing the buzz and the happiness about the island again. It's just brilliant. Now that most of Scotland is in level two, one or zero, we can finally travel again and start planning summer holidays at home. I've always loved exploring Scotland, especially now after being cooped up at home for so long. So without further ado, I can say, once again, welcome to Scran on the Road. My first stop in this episode is the five-star Macri Hotel, located about eight minutes from Port Ellen and five minutes from the airport. The hotel is reopened after the last lockdown, and I had coffee with head chef Darren Velvick about moving to Isla, opening his own restaurant in Dubai, and working with Gordon Ramsay and Marcus Waring. Hi, Darren. Hi. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, so just to start off um, from the beginning, you've had quite a varied career so far, including a stint in Dubai, um, which we could talk a bit about later. Um, but what drew you to the hotel and Isla specifically? Um, I'd definitely say it's the nature side of things. It's absolutely beautiful. When I, um, It's quite a long story, but um, John cut it short. I was driving around Scotland in, in my motorhome because I'd never been to Scotland before and uh, I suddenly get a phone call from uh, an agent saying, um, 
are you looking for work at the moment? I found you on LinkedIn. I said, well, I'm not necessarily looking, but I'm just enjoying my time at the moment. He said, because I've got a beautiful job um, opportunity up in Scotland. I went, oh, well, okay, I'm in Scotland now. I've never been there. And suddenly um, a job comes available. Um, and he said it's on the Isle of Isla, um, which I'd never, ever heard of, to be honest. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I, I came across um, and uh, saw the place and I just fell in love with the island and the, the hotel. Absolutely stunning scenery. So what is there not to like about it, really? And so it must be, was it, is it quite a, a change in pace from things you've done before? Because obviously you've been in cities and like probably quite big, well, you have been in big name restaurants. So is it a bit of a change of pace? Yeah, but I think also it's exactly what I was looking for at this time in my life. Um, I've done the cities. I was a lot younger then, a lot more agile, a lot more able to run around. Um, and I think um, I just came to a point in my life where I was thinking, uh, I want something a little more slow paced, a bit more natural, a bit more beautiful. And um, yeah, this just basically fell onto my lap. Um, and so whereabouts are you from? Is this kind of sort of the countryside, obviously not Ireland, but, you know, kind of a slower pace of life. Is that kind of what you grew up in? Yeah, exactly. I grew up in a tiny little village, which is in Berkshire, um, uh, near a place in called, uh, a city called Reading. Um, I grew up in a tiny little village, which was surrounded by woodlands and uh, countryside. Um, I think 500 people lived in the village um, at that time. Um, so yeah, I used to love going out and playing in the woods all day as a kid. And, uh, even back then I was foraging without even realizing I was eating blackberries and, uh, picking mushrooms and, um, and bringing them back home and cooking. So it's funny how it's turned around. It's taken me 40 years to get back to this, this situation again, but yeah. Um, and the foraging side of things, that is something that you do a lot here, isn't it? Um, I've seen from the hotel's Facebook, you've been out foraging wild garlic. Um, is there anything on Isla that you can only get specifically here or is it all like, you know, what you would expect from foraging? No, well, um, I'd say I'm not an expert in foraging. There's a certain, um, I, I know a certain amount of herbs, um, but everything I've found here so far, um, I may be told differently by an expert, but uh, everything I found here so far, I found um, mostly on the mainland as well. Um, the, I mean, some great seaweeds as well, which um, originates, come across from Ireland, like carrageen. I'm not sure if that's on many other beaches um, on the mainland. Again, I may be, <laughs> may be proved wrong on that. I'm not an expert on that field, but um, I was told that the carrageen side, you only get it on one side of the island because um, it faces Ireland, it comes across. Um, but no, it's... Um, it, it, it's something that I love doing. It's I love connecting back with nature, but it's something that I don't really find enough time to do it. But um, I really try and, especially when wild garlic season's out, it's silly not to get out there and uh, get as much wild garlic on the menu as you can. Yeah, because there's so much of it and it's free. Yeah, exactly. And it's such a beautiful flavour. I mean, a lovely risotto or pasta dish done with wild garlic. It's um, absolutely stunning. So, um, Which leads me on to my next question. So what can, you, the hotel's been open now for about a month and you're getting busier with tourists now we can travel. Um, so what can guests expect from the menu here? Um, I'd say I'll try to use um, as much of the local produce as possible. Um, it has its challenges. Um, as you see, it's quite a small island, um, as in the amount of people living here. Um, I try and work with the supplier rather than work with me because I have to be flexible for them because the, a lot of these businesses here they're family little businesses and they don't work weekends or uh, if they have it, they they send you it. If they haven't got it, you don't get it. So I found that uh, quite a challenge, especially from being in cities where you just click your fingers and it comes, mm. where here you really have to work with the supplier a lot more and understand actually their family-run business um, and 
for example, the oysters, you know, the, the other side of the island, uh, and it's literally just um, when, you're, when you're passing by, can you drop me off a bag of oysters? <laughs> so it, it's no real set date. It's just really trying to work with them, understand they're, they're busy, they're running around. Um, so, yeah, it has its challenges, but it also has some beautiful produce here. Yeah. Would you say, do you have a favourite produce from Isle or is, it, is that kind of difficult? It's hard for me to put that, but I'd say the one thing the customers really comment on are the oysters. Mm. Um, they're, they're really big, thick, creamy oysters. Um, and again, I use um, a little farmer um, who does vegetables and tomatoes. Um, and again, when they're in season, um, I get as many tomatoes from him. That's near Abyss Farm. Um, the comments on the tomato, I mean, it's just a simple tomato, but the, the comments I get from that, which makes my life easy as a chef, because you don't really have to do much to the produce because mm-hmm. the it's the flavors speak for themselves. Um, so in some ways I'm blessed in that side that all you need to do is a little, a little salt and pepper and a nice little dressing on this tomato. And it's just like, wow, the flavors just come out of this tomato. It's unbelievable. Um, and again, I, I, I use a, a farm, um, called optimal farm for my beef. Um, he's again, he's in Port, Char- um, Port Charlotte. Um, and when I have his beef, I have to buy the whole beast, the Highland cow. Um, and I try and utilize it all. Um, and then I buy another one when it, when it's all been used up. So I don't have masses of storage to keep holding loads of cows here. Um, but again, the comments are the feedback I get from that is really, really, you know, the good, the people love the burgers and the steaks when I, when I have them on. Yeah. And have you found, have you been able to work a lot with sort of the whiskey kind of side of things? Because obviously that's why is well known for. Yeah, of course. Um, it'd be silly not to use. And also the gin, the botanist gin and stuff. And um, we also have our own Macri um, gin as well. Um, yeah, it's something I incorporate into the food. The Bemore, um, well, all the distilleries really, is trying to pick, um, trying to make it fair and just quite randomly change a distillery just so everyone gets um, their name on our menu. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the flavours, I mean, I'm not a whiskey expert, and I'll be honest, I'm not a, a big fan of whiskey, but it's something that I've started to experience whilst being here. Um, and they do have quite unique flavours, very peat. I mean, especially in cookery, um, you've got your real smoky flavours, which go well with the meat and things like that. Um, and then you've got your slightly sweeter ones, which go well with desserts. So it is almost like matching wines. It's a quite a unique um, experience tasting all these whiskies now. Yeah. Have you tried um, Laphroaig with cherry coke? No. That's really good. <laughs> it's called a smoky coke. I'm coffee. sure they're turning around now going, oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> it is good though. Oh, okay. No, I mean, again, I'm, I'm open to try new things and uh, it might be quite a nice um, ice cream or dessert out of that. You know, you yeah. can make a sorbet or something out of that. Yeah. Quite unique. Yeah, we well, heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> if you hear it on, if you see it on the menu, I'll know where I got it. You'll know where I got it from. So. <laughs> Um, so you worked with um, you worked in you know some big cities. We mentioned Dubai, um, but before that you worked with Marcus Wade and, and Gordon Ramsay. You trained with them, is that right? Yeah, that's right. You probably get asked this all the time, but what was that like? <laughs> um, I'd say I, I didn't really fully train train with them. Um, I, I did my apprenticeship, um, which was actually close to where I grew up. Um, I did a seven year apprenticeship, but then I went to France for uh, a year. I worked in a Michelin star, my first ever Michelin star restaurant. And that was quite an eye-opening experience for me. It was a lot more hard work, longer hours, and the attention to detail was um, was uh, something that I really wanted to learn. And um, I then got to a point where that job ended. It's only a seasonal, it's only for one summer season. And um, I then, <laughs> I went back to Brighton for the day to pick up a, um, a few books to read. I just had a day off, so I came back and I picked up a Merkbank magazine and a Michelin guide and 
in there was Gordon Ramsay um, because he had a motorbike. This was in the motorbike magazine. I was like, wow, never, never heard of him, never, never knew who, who he was. And um, I literally just found the restaurant from reading the motorbike magazine. It's called Aubergine. Then I found my Michelin book and I looked in there. And so I wrote to him and said, um, you know, I'm working in France at the moment, but due to end and I'd love to come and work for you. Had no idea <laughs> about his nature or what he was. And he, he replied back to me and said, yes, um, come and see me when you're, um, when you're back in the UK. Um, so I, I did that. As soon as I got back to the UK, I, I phoned him up and um, arranged to have a coffee with him and a chat. And that, that was it, really. That was the ball rolling. And um, yeah, I got my feet into the table in the early days when he had aubergine and Marcus Waring had Laurentje. Mm-hmm. Um, but no sooner I worked there, um, it all um, upturned because Gordon then um, handed, resigned because uh, he's opened up his flagship, what he has now, um, Royal Hospital Road, the Freestyle. Um, I then went with the team. We and opened that, and uh, I was part of the opening team of Royal Hospital Road. Um, and then Marcus then um, got his restaurant called Petrus mm-hmm. um, six months later. So then I then went alongside with Marcus, and we went to Petrus and opened that. And that was it, though. That was the ball rolling. I, I was in under the table. I was there for... Uh, 15 years roughly uh, on and off and <clears throat> it was hard work working for Gar- Gordon seeing Gordon on the stove was an absolute eye-opener um p- a lot of people asked me oh can the guy cook oh man he yeah, yeah he, he's an a- absolute animal on the stove back then he was a he's quite uh, inspiring he's quite you know and I, that's exactly what I wanted in my career at that time I wanted to give myself a bit of a kick up the backside and um challenge myself and you do challenge yourself in those kitchens it's not just cookery it's mentally, physically, um, you know, you're getting, you're getting home at two in the morning, you're getting back up at six o'clock in the morning, you're doing that five days a week, you know, it's not for the faint hearted. And again, you see people come, people go, people come, people go. And you, you had that strong core who stuck at it. And, you know, from that core, you've got Jason Afton's, you've got the Angela Hartnett's now who are top chefs in London and, uh, and Marcus Waring obviously was part of that core. Um, he, he did build a big, big, um, database of strong chefs at the time and even doing well now succeeding and I think for me today I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't gone through that kitchen because you can deal with challenges and issues thrown at you and it's just like you see people stressing out you're like really (laughs) what's the problem you know so yeah um I have a lot to thank him for it wasn't necessarily the most pleasant experience when all the time but again I chose to do that um and Gordon is such a nice guy um once you I always say it's almost like um, hell year. <laughs> and once you've done a year there, it's almost like you've proved yourself. And then it's almost like you get his respect then and everything turns. They start building your confidence up and all that. It's, it's um, yeah, I'd, I'd say probably looking back on it, that's what it is. It's like hell for a year. And then it just then gets better for you. And he really recognizes your hard work. And he's a very, very generous, generous, generous guy, Gordon. You know, he, he, you know, he is quite a softy even though he portrays himself on the TV um, as quite a hard figure. He's actually a very caring guy as well. If you ever you're in trouble, if you went to see him, he'd help you out. No, no, no problem. Yeah. yeah. And would you, what would you do if you walked in here and to your restaurant now? Would you be like, oh, yeah. would, you, would you be like, oh, or would you be a bit like, oh? No, no, no. I mean, I have no problem uh, with Gordon you know, cooking for him. You know, I've spent all my years. I, I mean, I'll be honest, I spent most of my years working alongside Marcus and me and Marcus, we were like a team um and our palettes were very similar um but with gordon he had always come in be coming into the restaurant into the kitchen causing chaos coming <laughs> coming to see gordon um, to see marcus 
and he'd be just like a whirlwind. He's like a Tasmanian devil going through. He'd be just like bouncing off and having jokes with the guys. And uh, it's really, really good fun to have him in the kitchen. Um, but yeah, he, he did come out to Dubai actually when I was out there because um, he opened up Bread Street Kitchen uh, on the Atlantis and the Palm. Um, and he did mention me in an interview saying, oh, I, know, I know that Darren Velvet's out here. Jason Afton had just opened up out there. He had Nick and Scott as well, who were two of his um, previous boys as well. So again, he's very aware um, of where we are, I think, and what we're doing. So yeah, it'd be quite nice to see him walk through the door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so yeah, Dubai, that was your chance to go off and kind of set up your own uh, restaurants, wasn't it? So what was what was that like? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly why I left um, London, because this was an opportunity. The feedback I was getting um, was actually, what, what, what's your style? What's your food? What's Darren Velvick? You know, because I'd always been the man behind the scenes for Marcus Waring and Gordon things. So um, that gave me the opportunity to showcase what I could do. So I actually ended up running Gordon's um, old restaurant, which was in the Hilton. Um, it's called Vare at the time. It's now called Table Nine. Um, and Nick and Scott were running, who I mentioned earlier, they were running it and they moved on to do their own thing somewhere else. So I then um, took over. Uh, it's called Table Nine by Darren Velvick, which was quite nice to have my name on the door. And it's actually showcasing what I can do. It had its challenges in Dubai because it was part of the old town um, mm -hmm. where the expats wouldn't really travel, not during the week. They'd come there for the weekends. So that was my first restaurant where sometimes it's challenging. You're doing like 10, 10 people in the evening during the week. And I've never been that quiet before, but it gave me a lot of time to develop dishes and things. So in, in two ways, in two ways it worked. Um, but then lots of my guests were saying um, that they'd, they'd come to me more if I was in the marina area, which in Dubai is a bit more of an expat community. And funny, Marriott approached me and said, um, we have a restaurant here. If you'd like to put a concept forward, and um, and there's a couple of other people going for it as well. Put a concept forward and we'll give you um, some money to turn it around, turn it into your own thing. It is already a restaurant, but wasn't doing very well. So I went along and did that. And um, we got uh, me and my manager, Yanni, um, we got through to the to actually run it. And that was great. That was two years. And coming up with the name, it's funny because it's the Croft is obviously a very Scottish name. And I was trying to think of a name. And um, the woods when I was a kid growing up was called Beechwoods. And um, I was trying to call it Beechwood and um, it kept coming back in the system that that name's already been used. And it's funny, my wife said, well, because <clears throat> I want to keep it um, like homegrown, local, fresh produce, that sort of feel about it. And my wife said, well, what about the croft or croft? Uh, and I said, well, what, what's a croft? I didn't even know what a croft was. Yeah. And she goes, well, look, it's a, it's a little Scottish um, little home, homestead farm farm sort of building where you have some animals and some crops growing i said well that's, that's exactly what, what what the feel is is using local farmers and local um produce and yeah so that was it that's how the crop was born and that was great that was more of a gastro pub feel it that took me in a different direction than i'd always done fine dining and uh, again dubai was crying out for a bit more english proper sunday roast and fish and chips properly done so um, we did that and yeah, wow, we turned, turned it around and it really was successful. And I believe it's still successful now. It's still going strong. But again, the crazy thing in Dubai was I've managed to get, um, like you probably know, because you were out there from the, I don't know if you ever went to the farmer's markets where you get to meet the little farmers, uh -huh. all organically grown, produce grown in the sand. So that was quite a nice thing. Potatoes and carrots and beetroots coming. So I'd use those suppliers for the croft as well. So we're getting beautiful organic um probably 
better produce than that I could get here at the time than we were getting in London. It was absolutely amazing. So that was really nice, um, nice thing to work with those little local farmers. You see, they're not, they're very humble. They're just growing vegetables in the sand. And um, I'd go, I'd go there every Friday just for my own personal, um, me and my wife would go there and take the kids just to see the benches full of all this produce. It was crazy, wasn't it? Yeah. you think we're in the middle of the desert. How have yeah, you done this? Do this? <laughs> and I actually went to a couple of farms. I mean, I think they did use a lot of water yeah. in there, but it was quite amazing to see how um, this stuff was grown in sand with mm-hmm. hardly any nutrients in it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a shame in a way that the island doesn't here, doesn't really do something like that. Um, it'd, be, it'd be quite nice to see all the local um, produce coming come together every weekend, just for the, not necessarily for the businesses, more for the for the locals. I'm sure there's, well, I know there is, there's people who make homemade jams here and marmalades and especially incorporating whiskey and butters and stuff like that. It'd be quite nice to see something like that, especially in the summer months happening here. Yeah, but, it'd be hmm. good. Um, so did you come from Dubai to here then? Was it that that big a Yeah, of- I mean, I think I said to you earlier, the reason why I left Dubai is because my mum was, um, she was passing away. So I came back to spend the last few days or well, a few months with her. And then that chapter closed and I sort of had a, a bit of time to, reflect on what I've just done and what do I want to do next and I'd go for walks in the woods every day and sort of in a meditative state I'd sort of put out there well where do I want to be next I want to be somewhere quite rural quite rugged I don't want to do a city job anymore and I sort of put it out into the woods so it sounds a bit bizarre but I was sort of putting it out into the universe and it's funny how this this sort of came back to me this is what um approached me I was like well you couldn't get any more rugged and very yeah. more ideally and you know it's absolutely stunning yeah I mean I love that I love the nature side of it I love the way the weather turns and I love the way the the seas just rolling over and crashing it's just absolutely stunning and again um as part of my sort of um I suppose being a chef's quite a stressful job so one of my ways to de-stress is to go out into nature I go swimming all year round um in the sea so like January you'll see me in the water and stuff like that with um just i only do like 15 20 minutes i use this technique called the wim hof technique where it's using breathing and meditation and that really helped me get over my um my stresses my anxiety my depression and again lots of chefs you know i I struggled with a little bit with depression um in my uh, sort of in my london years i was sort of getting quite depressed in a city you're just getting up go to work get up go to work and that sort of chain was sort of i think driving me a bit crazy so I definitely um, felt I was drawn here um, to help me with my healing as well, um, mentally, because um, there is a sad thing that in the chefs, not just chefs, I guess, but there is a lot of chefs out there suffering with depression and anxiety and that. So I just found that as a tool um, to help get me clear headed. Um, and again, I've helped guys here who've come with that sort of sense and said, look, this is what you need to do. And they've gone off and done it and they find it really helps them. Yeah. So it's not just a beautiful place, it's quite restorative as well. Yeah, I'd say it's quite a healing, healing place. It's so calm. You just sit by the sea for an hour and watch the sunset. You know, there's it, not much more beautiful than that. You know, it's just, uh, or even in the morning when you're doing breakfast, you see the sun rising, rising over the mountains. And it's just like, wow, yeah. you couldn't be anywhere better. <laughs> not really. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that at some yeah. point. Um, so the last year has been a bit, Crazy. Challenging. Yeah, challenging. Is that did you find it that was just another um it was good to be here and kind of, you know, getting out and about and doing what you're saying, kind of just have time to like hit the pause button 
or were you a bit more like concerned about things like and this is a small island and obviously relies a lot on tourism so what was the what was the feeling here for the I last think, few while i think it's probably the both um it was actually quite nice as a chef to get some time off um okay i've taken time off myself and that ha- i had to financially support myself on that I, I got myself in a position in dubai where we had enough money to sort of survive to be out of work for about a good year whilst i looked after my mother um in that time and then i think um with what happened here was it just gave me some time to really sort of chill out now and take some time off and refocus on where 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 the macri is what we want to do the menu it gave me some time to really because when i took the job on here um it was already just opened um and i sort of got handed over from uh, an agency head chef who was just keeping it going because um I, I believe there was a the head chef out of the previous head chef just before opening left and so i sort of got thrown into the the fire in a way and i never really had time um to really catch up and put you know stand back and think about the menu and what we're doing i just kept it rolling surviving um so it actually was quite nice in that sense that we managed to treat this as like a another reopening of the macri we we, we had lots of meetings during furlough, furlough to just discuss about the menu the suppliers we're using um what is the concept what's the vision so which we'd never properly done before because we'd all been too busy so in that sense it is quite a nice thing to sort of refocus and regather and look at what we've learned over the last two two years what mistakes we've made and what good things we've done so it's been good for that um and again for my own personal side to get out and see nature a bit more and yeah. uh meet up with other supply you know find some more suppliers because you know i've been so busy sometimes some, there's only some of the staff will say to me, oh, you know, so-and-so makes this. And, oh, it's like our bread. We get it from Jura, um, the next island. Um, it's a lady there, uh, Kirsty. She just does it, uh, a little bakery, uh, a tiny, she makes our sourdough. So I take like 20 off her a week and um, we sell that on the menu. It's home-baked um, sourdough, homemade sourdough and things like that I would never known about because they don't really approach you. Mm-hmm. It's just from one of the um, ladies here working here said, oh, um, Kirsty makes this lovely sourdough and so I contacted her so it gave me time to reach out to a few little niche people and just um start using their products but again it's working with them and you know she's a lady working at home she's got a child and it's fitting around with her you know I don't want to um put so much demands on her that she can't cope with it you know and this is what I was saying that I try and work with the supplier rather than them working with me it's a different role in London you're just like no you give me 20 you know i I demand you know you're a bit more demanding you know Mm -hmm. if you can't do it i'll go somewhere else where here i sort of dropped that attitude and really sort of if if they can't keep up with it fine we'll try and make some as well we we, but i haven't really got the time or resources here at the moment to be making 30 uh, sourdoughs a week you know um however nice it is i can make probably i'll probably cope with 10 if she only makes 20 so that that's um how it works that's been quite nice um but yeah again it's it's two different worlds on this island you've got those who have businesses who really work on you know relying on the tourists and you've got the other ones who are retired and actually don't necessarily want the tourists coming over too early so it is a bit of um so it's it's a, it has its challenges in that sense and we've been very blessed here on this island we've had hardly if, if any cases of covid um so in some ways you're in a little bubble here you don't really realize what's going on especially during the lockdown, we were just going around walking on the beaches and, and there's hardly anyone here anyway. 
So it's not like you bump into people. So in that sense, you couldn't have been anywhere safer in the world than here, I think. Um, yeah. Well, COVID aside, um, this is one of the questions I ask everybody and it might require you to think a little bit, or maybe not. If you can invite three people to dinner party, whether they're with us or not, who would they be? Oh, wow. That's put me on the spot, hasn't it? <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, three people. Have they got to be alive this day? No, they don't. No, they could be anybody. Uh, I'd definitely bring Wim Hof because he um, he's the Iceman. He's... Um, He's the one who's really helped me through my sort of mental sort of focus and being strong. Um, I'll probably bring back Gordon Ramsay and uh, sit down with him and uh, have a chat with him. And I'll bring my wife as well because we don't get to see each other very much. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a chef. I'm always working. Yeah, I'd love true. to bring my wife in and actually have a meal and uh, sit down with her. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a sad story of, a, um, I think, a chef's life. Um, you you spend more time with your team than you do your own family. Yeah. Um. So that gets quite challenging. And in all of the busy days when you should be, like your Valentine's days, when you should be spending time with your wife, we're the ones cooking everyone's meal. So yeah. it's, uh, it's uh, yeah. yeah, I'd say my wife. I th actually, I think I asked the same question of Stevie McLaughlin at Andrew Fairley, and he, he said, I think, the same thing, like his oh, wife really? and his family. And I was like, oh, I think I said something like, oh, but you see them all the time. And he was like, no, I don't. No, <laughs> no people don't realise the behind the scenes, you hardly see you. I mean, that's what I, that was the thing with, with being locked down so much. It's actually quite nice to spend some time with the family. Yeah. As, a, as a unit, we were all together because the kids weren't at school and we were all home for, what, four, four months, I think it was. Yeah. It was really nice, really yeah. nice. Um, and just finally, so the last thing is uh, quick fire questions all to do with food, which is the first thing that comes into your head. So it's my life and food. So uh, whenever I'm hungry, I think of? Um, risotto. Comfort food for me is? Oh, um, jacket potato baked beans. Nice. <laughs> um, my favourite childhood dessert is? Banana and custard. Mum used to make it. I... My food heaven is? It has to be scallops. And my food hell is? Liver. Nice. Yeah, I'm not a liver fan. No. I I'm still waiting for someone to say coriander. I say this to everybody. I love coriander. I hate coriander. Oh, really? Tastes oh. like soap. Oh, no. I love it. In a nice curry or even puree. Oh, beautiful. I mean, I feel like I don't eat it, but that, is, that makes sense. Yeah. It has its place. You're finding it everywhere now. Like in Marks and Spencer soups and yeah. stuff. I'm like, no. Anyway, that's regardless. It's nothing to do with me. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was a bit, bit, that's a bit. I've never been really asked those questions before. It's quite challenging. It puts you on the spot. Yeah. I always feel a bit bad. I should probably give. Well, a but it gives more, a more genuine answer. Well, no, I suppose it does. I mean, I, mean, uh, I think most chefs you talk to like beans on toast and things. It's just like yeah. it's such an easy. The worst thing we, we'd like to do, but, I mean, it's like my wife says, whenever we, we get invited around friends' house, they start panicking. Oh, I've got to cook for a chef. So Darren is so easy to cook for. He's just happy to have someone cooking for him. Mm -hmm. And it's true. I think we're so, um, it's just nice to sit down and have someone else cook for you. Yeah. But everyone's nervous about it. That's like my mother-in-law's Sunday roast. It's so nice to just go around there and have a cook a roast for us. Even, you know, even, even today, it's like, wow, it's, it's, I'm not doing the cooking for once, so... So you're never ever secretly judging anyone for their cooking. No, I don't. I try not to judge anyone. You know, and I should imagine it is pretty um, hard. It'd be like me showing a, a builder, look at my uh, look at my building wall I've just done. You're sort of being, you know, you're showing an expert on something. So it must be quite sort of um, intimidating for someone. Yeah. Um, but no, I'd like to think I'm pretty easy. I don't I don't put, um, put anything 
even if it's not pleasant uh, or anything, I'm trying to be nice about it. I don't think anyone, you know, they're so nervous making food for someone. I think the last thing they want is really negative feedback. Yeah. I'm not there for that, you know. It's not, we get it enough in what we do. Everyone's a food critic today, you know, with TripAdvisor yeah. and stuff like that. You know, we have to take it on the chin. But sometimes it does get personal and you think, well, you know, you're going... And you're, you're, you're dealing with people's palates, you know, everyone's different. It's like my, my wife, she doesn't tolerate salt very much. And uh, if I put too much, if I season things to how I season it here, she'll say, oh, that's quite salty. But, for you know, so you are really dealing with people's mm-hmm. palates. And um, some people, I have noticed that since uh, lockdown, some people are less tolerant at the moment. I think as a lot of people are a bit more um, impatient. Um mm-hmm. You know, I'd be quite happy just to get out and sit down in the restaurant again and just take my time. But yeah, we're seeing. We, you, I, do, I have seen quite a change in people's attitude mm-hmm. um, in the restaurant, which which is fine. It's how we, you know we're used to it and we deal with it. But um, yeah, I think people have had a bit of a tough time over the last yeah. uh, year. You can see it in the way they are. Um, but hopefully, things are going to get better now. Oh, I hope forward. so. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, it will get better. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your no, time. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Next up, I went from road to sea with a tour from Isle of Sea Adventures. Retired fisherman turned tour guide Harold chats to me about the island, what sea tours are available and his favourite jams. In case the noise doesn't give it away, I'm currently on a boat <laughs> uh, with Harold Easting from Isle of Sea Adventures. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing fine. Glad to have you on board. Thank you very much. That was a, We've just done a great tour and I'm thankful no one can see us because I look very windswept and interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how's it been uh, in Isla over the last year or so given COVID? And this well, it's is... been very quiet through COVID, but things are starting to pick up now. We've just started doing tours this year, the last couple of weeks now, and been quite busy doing trips up to... The Curry Brecon, uh, wildlife trips and just scenic trips along the coast. And you were a fisherman before you did this? Yes, I did 40 odd years, myself and Alec at Skippering today. We both did 40 years on the high seas in the fishing. Then we retired and now we're, now we're back at sea again. Yeah. <laughs> is it the type of thing that you can never really kind of, you never get sick of, obviously? Well, the sea has always been in our blood. So we've always been involved in the sea and Coast Guard involved in the lifeboat, different things. So it's it's in the blood. Yeah, and my, both my father, father and grandfather were, were both shipping managers with David McBrain, then Caledonia McBrain. So, and what kind of um, so like the food often in Isla? If you're coming here as a tourist, do you reckon that's become quite? Is it what what can people expect, and has it changed over the years? Well, we we probably get some of the best seafood out in the West Coast here. Fantastic lobster, brown crab. Langoustine, lots of good fish. Sometimes we dive for scallops on board the boat and bring them up and uh, clean them and barbecue them in the deck or have them raw with a wee splash of whiskey in them in the shell, which is very nice when they're marinated. It's really good. Yeah, we're, we're well off here when there's fishing, our game. Yeah. Um, so what kind of tours can people um, book? Is it specific? Today were we doing a wildlife tour? We were doing a wildlife tour today, yeah. Well, we've seen a few things today. Our sea eagles were hiding today, but we had the red deer that swam out onto the Armour Islands. You've got plenty of geese, um, lots of different things. Yeah, we get the dolphins too, porpoises, uh, minke whales. Last week we've seen three minke whales. So 
just your luck on the day when when they appeared and, and that's it so it's and what would you say is uh, something that people might not know about Isla? Because you've talked us quite through quite a lot of history on the tour. Is there something that you, people are always quite sort of surprised by when it comes to the history of the island? Yes, well, we've got lot, lots of history. You know, from Danuvi Castle, you know, from the 13th century, Robert the Bruce Gimmett Island, 1306, meet up with Angus Og to fight on the mainland. And then we've got Major General Alexander McDougall. He started off in Isla as a young lad, left Isla, went to America, worked his way up through the ranks in the War of Independence, ended up being George Washington's right-hand man and the top commander at West Point. And when it comes to Isla as a tourist destination, what do you think it is about it that sort of draws people here like as much as they used to come for well, COVID? Well, I, I think we've got beautiful scenery and... I think it's the people that make Isla as well, you know. We're so friendly. Everybody loves coming to Isla. And we've got all these lovely distilleries too. All these <laughs> lovely distilleries we've got, they're excellent whiskey. So that's a big draw as well. But okay. And the wildlife, of course, as well. And do you have a favourite whiskey? All the free ones. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be biased because I, I like them all and I know, I know everybody in each distillery. So, yeah. yeah, they are all good. They're all good and they're all really different as well. Completely different, yes, you get milder ones. Everybody's different, you know. Lovely flavours, although. It's an aqua you you, you got to like them all. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, well, thank you very much. That was a great tour, and um, I know you've got to go and launch some other boats, but... Um, no stop, no no rest for the wicked. No, no, no rest for the retired. That's right. That's <laughs> a busman's holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I venture to the lovely Galegadale house where owner Emma discusses opening up again, baking with whiskey and why she returned home to Isla. Uh, now I'm joined by Emma Clark, who is the owner of Galegadale house uh, on Isla, which we're opposite the airport. We're here right now. Hi, Emma. How Hi, there. How are you doing? Fine, how are you? Good. Sunny. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, so you've been responsible for a lot of things I've done on this trip and meeting people and doing things, which has been brilliant. Um, so... How are you know you we've we've discussed uh, your background and things, but just you know for anyone in the podcast who doesn't know you're from the islands and this is this is what you do you kind of live and breathe tourism on the islands. Yeah, we do. I grew up in the islands of Ireland, so my dad made Banahaven whiskey for twenty five years, and my grandpa made Bamore, and I have a true passion for anything that is Scottish, and then obviously Argyll, and then islands, and particularly I do have a wee a wee soft spot for Ireland, Jura, of course. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just to see somebody doing well and to see our Scottish businesses recover and yeah, anything, anything to do with that, it just makes you smile. Um, so you're also on the tourist board, um, so you will have been, uh, seen a lot over the last like year or so. So how does it feel now to be kind of coming out of the, not out of the pandemics, we're still in it, but you know, people coming to visit and you know, tourism, tourism kicking off again. It's just such a happy feeling. I think we're all exhausted. I'll make no bones about it. We're all absolutely exhausted, but it's a happy exhaustion. And seeing people just enjoy themselves and be out and about and chatting. Everybody wants to talk a lot longer. Everything takes longer. But just having those conversations with guests, visitors, people that you see in the street, it's just so lovely. It's such an amazing feeling seeing the buzz and the happiness about the island again. It's just brilliant. 
Um, and we've, you know, face would have been just passed um, and was virtual again. Um, do you reckon we're going to be back to normal for that next year or is that kind of crystal ball type? Oh, I think, do you know something, with anything to do with COVID, I think if somebody told us COVID had disappeared tomorrow, we would leave you. If somebody told us we're going into lockdown tomorrow, we'd leave you. There is no, none of us know what's going to happen. And I think anyone in hospitality, we all have wishes and we have hopes and we have dreams, but we're prepared for anything. However, I've just actually had lunch with the, the chair of the head, the chair of the face a wee while ago, and uh, she's very excited for next year. So it's looking really, really hopeful. That's good. And I say that for myself as well, because I want to, I want to come <laughs> Well, listen, we're islanders, and that's the one thing about the festival, or or, or face, we call it Isla, uh, face Isla, so Isla Festival. Um, and that's the one thing about the face is it really, really is for everybody. So it's just, it's enjoyed by islanders. The two biggest days that are enjoyed by islanders, I have to say, are usually uh, Brickladdy Day and Ardbeg Day, partly because they're on the weekends, but I think nearly every islander takes a day off for those <laughs> Because they're just such good fun. Yeah, well, hopefully, fingers crossed, we can get back um, back to some kind of normal then. So we're here now in your lovely house, um, which is open for guests to come and stay again. What can people expect when they're here? Um, I won't give it too much away from what I've had because I'll be writing about it later. So what, what would people get when they arrive? And I think the, the biggest thing that you get, yes, obviously, we are huge foodies. But the biggest thing you get is hopefully a warm welcome and feeling of relaxed, feeling relaxed and just being able to enjoy being somewhere different. Yeah, we are hugely focused on Scottish food and drink and um, and being in a, a luxurious surrounding. So we are five stars, but it's a relaxed five stars. Um, and it just we want you to enjoy. Somebody came down in their slippers for breakfast this morning. So there's no rules. There's no hey, you have to do this at a certain time. We just want you to come on holiday and have the very, very best of Scottish produce whether that be foraged, produced, but done with love and just the, the very best of things in a, in a beautiful surrounding. Which is, which is true. It was amazing. Uh, so you're, you do a lot of the cooking and baking and things and, you know, you, you've done a lot with whiskey um, and your husband, what's your, basically, what's your background and how did you get to this point? So uh, we've got a wee bit, I, I grew up on Isla and we live and breathe whiskey on Isla. Gosh, if you're teething, you get it on your gums. If you're, if you've grazed your knee, you get it on your knee. Um, so whiskey's everywhere and obviously now gin as well, which is fantastic and actually rum coming too. Um, so it's all there. And I think anything now, whether it's foraged or wild garlic or nettle soup or all different things, we have so many amazing things about us. However, my husband was one of the managers at the Buttery in Glasgow and we both trained in hospitality in Glasgow. And my background was I went for, I went, it sounds like a song, I went for a job in a, in a bar and my husband was a manager who interviewed me and uh, the rest is history. But I actually worked in pharmaceuticals. So I did, although I trained in hospitality management and uh, lived and breathed it, my, I worked in pharmaceuticals and then gave that up almost nine years ago to move back to Isla and start Glenagadale House. And uh, we just both want everything to be as perfect as possible. And I don't think we'll ever get tired of finding new producers and the excitement of finding something new and something wonderful and the happy dance that they do when they sell that product and the happy dance we do when we find it and then the enjoyment of the guests who get to enjoy it. So it's 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 great. But yeah, we're both food and drink um, related and hospitality background. 
but a wee veer off for me, not Graham, but a wee veer off for me and then came back to it nine years ago. And was it just a kind of want for like a different kind of pace of life? Was that what you... Yeah, so I would work between Glasgow and London and uh, I would go down on a Sunday, come back up on a Thursday and our daughter called me Ema and the childminder mum. And I think there came a time that I thought, hang on a minute, this is when that happened. I thought I need to, there, there needs to be a redressing of the, of the balance. And uh, we decided to move back to Isla and it wasn't an easy journey. Um, I think we have had, uh, I think everyone thinks it's been such an easy journey. We've just moved back to Isla and we've got Glenigadale House. It's been a really, really long journey and far longer than this interview could ever take. <laughs> and it's not been, diff it's not been easy. But we got there. So two years ago, although we've been here nine years, two years ago, we bought the business and uh, it was just the most monumental moment. And yeah, it's great. We've done it. We've managed it. We've achieved it. And we've got our five stars and we have one in, in March 2020. Um, so the 5th of March. So just as everything was kicking off, uh, we won the best accommodation in Scotland on the Thistle Awards. And uh, our most friendly accommodation in Scotland for the Thistle Awards. And that was the one of the best moments, uh, I think, ever of our accommodation journey. We've had to work our socks off, as you've seen. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we love it. We do love it. And it's made it all the more worthwhile. Yeah. These things kind of do, don't they, when you've got that <sighs> bit of a journey? When well, you, you know, to the end. I've just seen today and I was chatting to the Buffalo Farmer, which obviously yes. has. Uh -huh. So I've just been Steven. chatting to him. Yes. And uh I was saying to him, I said, oh my God, I said, it's great. I said, that's you finally got it to plate. I said, you know, I'm in a restaurant and it's in Nick Nairns and, and um, I said, you finally got it to plate. And he's so excited. And he's like, yeah, it makes it. He says, all, and I said, after such a journey, because obviously they had to sell all, the, sell all the buffalo and buy them back. And and so Stevie has just said, yeah, he says, do you know what? It's a, uh, I think sometimes the difficult journeys make the end result and actually doing well, all, all the more, all the better. Yeah. So, but yeah. It's been a journey. It's been a journey. Yeah, been a journey. Yeah. No, I, I should say uh, that uh, Stephen Mitchell, who's been on the podcast, yep. I've been in amongst the buffalo talking oh, some yeah. with this recording device. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he's. I've known him a long time because I'm from from Kinghorn, and he's obviously yeah, just up, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he's just just released his buffalo mozzarella. It's a long time coming, and Nick Nairn has taken it on, and they had a, a tweet together Last yesterday, night. and it yeah. looked great. So. It's exciting. I'm so happy. Do you know what it is? It's just one of these things that when you see somebody working so hard for something, like your RCC salt, and somebody that's just had a real passion, a real dream, and just worked their socks off for it, it's great. And, and hopefully that's what everyone sees with Graham and I, is that, yeah. And I think it's only now, and that's, that's nine years, that folk are starting to go, yeah, do you know what? They're here to stay. They're still, we're not kind of going, okay, it's nine years. We could just dip things down a wee bit. Um, it would be more profitable if we dip things down a wee bit. <laughs> but it would be too easy. It would be too easy. And it so, would be the same, would it? No, it wouldn't. And I think had you started at that level, it's different. But I think to, yeah, we love it too much. And the 70% of our guests are repeat guests. So it, you actually have to raise the bar every single year because they build up that expectation throughout the year. They've gone, built it up in their heads. And if, if it's just the same, it's not enough. So you need to every year do something different, something more exciting. And it's worth it when they come back and go, oh my goodness. But it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's good, but it's hard. And so what was it like growing up around whiskey? If your dad making whiskey, what was it? It was great. It was, I think we all took it for granted. It wasn't, we never thought it was anything special. Um, it was just what all our dads did. Uh, they all worked in whiskey. And whiskey was just something that was here. And I think... 
I don't know whether I'm 45. No, I'm not. I'm 44. <laughs> I'm 44. I've gained a year. Um, and I genuinely think we didn't just appreciate it. We used to, I think I was telling you that we used to pull the bungs out of the whiskey barrels and play ice skating on, on Ardenhoe Loch, not realising the dangers of going through a, an icy log. <laughs> Never mind the dangers of actually ruining all these barrels of whiskey. But um, it was just, it literally we'd play tennis against the walls of the distillery. We'd run across the tops of the barrels. And it was just, that was just life. Whiskey was all our lives. Mm-hmm. So... So do you like do you like whiskey then? Is that a stupid question? I do. No, it's not a stupid question. I do. I prefer gin, but I do love whiskey. And it depends on the mood and who you're with. And during the winter, I'll probably drink more whiskey in the winter. Graham will drink it every night. Um, <laughs> but I probably will drink more whiskey in the winter time just because you're coming off the beach and you're cold and your cheeks are that icy, icy way. But you've wrapped up warm and you light the fire and you just sit in front of the fire with a dram and there's nothing nicer. So, and it's, every dram's so different. I don't think there's a wrong dram in Isla. You just haven't found the right one if you don't like it. So, but it's beautiful. And so what, um, so there's a lot been going on recently. You mentioned RCC Salt, who we've, I've spoken to a few weeks ago. Um, there's rum coming, there's gin. So was that, you know, if you were coming here as a tourist and they wanted to do like a food and drink trail, what kind of key places would you pick out to visit? Or is that too difficult? No, it's not. Do you know something? It's one of these things when you were coming here and we're setting up your itinerary, I think we could have filled two weeks with food and drink experiences in Isla. And uh, I don't think uh, three years ago now, um, we had a meeting at this table that you and I are sitting at just now with um, the local tourism committee. And at that time, they had money left over that they were using for a birdie fair and they had money left over because that wasn't happening. And I said, could we do a food festival, please? And they, all the people around the table looked at me like I had two heads. And they said, a food festival in Isla? I said, yeah, please, can we showcase our food uh, and drink? And uh, they went, but we don't have any food and drink. And yeah. So that was the initial reaction I got. And I went, right, we've got langoustines, lobsters, scallops, oysters, lamb, beef, you name it. There was and venison, game. There's so much. But I think because it's not been commercialised in any way, they didn't see it as a sellable item. Now, on that day, our target, they said, right, well, how about we get 200 people to a festival in September? That's going to be our target. Well, we started the festival at 10 o'clock, and by half past 11, we had 2,400 people oh, going wow. through the square. And we'd sold out by midday. And we had a scallop barbecue, a lobster barbecue, the guy opening up oysters. It was just absolutely magical. Mulled cheese came along. Um, our Gale coffee roasters came along. It was just this most magical time of people trying different things. There was lots of people in Isla had never tried Isla oysters. Um, so it was just really beautiful. So genuinely, you could go, uh, one of my favourite things on Isla is going to Isla oysters and getting oysters from the Honesty Box and he'll he'll shuck them for you slightly so that you can go down to the beach, grab a lemon from the co-op or Tabasco, whichever way you wish them, and sit on the beach and have Isla oysters, have a fire and cook some cockles that you've raked. There's just so many things that you can do. So we give our guests rakes and, and you go down onto the beach, rake for cockles, pick some mussels, go and collect your oysters and you can have a seafood platter sitting on the beach that you've foraged for yourself. Failing that, um, hire one of the local guides and he'll go help, uh, He'll go and take you out to uh, take some lobster and crab up in their creels. Um, you can go fishing with Isla Sea Adventures and they'll give you some scallops with uh, whiskey as well. There is just so much on offer the girls over at Lassa Gin are amazing at doing their showcasing their gins the Nerebus gin you were there this morning they've got a beautiful gin as well 
I don't think anyone realises exactly what's on Isla. And some of the distilleries will do food and drink pairings as well. Mm. Or you can create your own. So yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, definitely need to come back. Because as much as I've done loads, it's been like, we've not even scratched just the surface. The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've got loads more for you to do. <laughs> and just really, um, so I should say, one of the things you... Um, you're good in social media and the things you you mentioned quite a lot is your muffins in the morning and even just the excitement this morning I've been like I'm getting to try one of these muffins I've seen so often on Twitter it was great do you know it's we try to do a different flavor every day and somewhere in there we try to use our local produce local produce um now there's always of course Scottish butter there's always Scottish milk but um this morning yes we used Bomore Surf uh the, the or Sultanas that had been soaked overnight in Bomore Surf I wouldn't claim the Sultanas are Scottish I promise but <laughs> um but yeah so trying to incorporate a local a local produce that's not always alcohol um, and as for the muffins, I, we did, we've always done banana breads or some type of bread in the morning, a sweet treat as well as your breakfast. But a few years ago, I had stuck on Facebook that one of our guests sent us this most beautiful picture of them eating their muffins out on the Mullavoe in the middle of a heather. And the, the heather was just in full bloom. It was raining. I will confess and say it was raining. And they'd up their hoods and they just had their wee eyes poking out um, and they were eating our muffin. And the picture was just amazing because of the cliff line and the backdrop. So I did stick it in social media. And uh, when all our other guests that had been before had emailed to say, well, actually, my picture was better. Look where we had ours. So, of course, I was like, oh, my goodness. So it started the great muffin adventure that, <laughs> <laughs> that everybody sent us a picture of where they had their muffins on Isla that day. And it was really beautiful and really, really good fun. So we did get some really daft pictures. Mm -hmm. um, but I was becoming a wee bit concerned that our, our focus was just on muffins and <laughs> not on anything else. However, it was good fun. Yeah. And they're really good. I'm glad you liked them. <laughs> glad you liked them. <laughs> um, so... Uh, so yeah, there's there's a couple of bits of the podcast that are like sort of quick fire questions. Well, that's okay. the end bit. But um, before that, uh, if you could only take three, I won't say whiskies, I'll say drinks. So if you could only take three drinks onto a desert island, what would they be and why? Oh, I would definitely have to take Lassa gin. And I know we've got a few gins in Isla, but I love their gin. But I love their story more than their gin. Um, and three women that have had a passion to make a product product. And buying a £50 still off Amazon um, when they'd had a wee drink one night. <laughs> and they now have this absolutely fantastic multinational gin. So it would have to be Lassa Gin. Um, what other drink would I take? Oh gosh, I'm going to offend one of the distilleries if I don't, if I pick one over the other. I am going to have to say Kilhoman. And as much as I love their whiskey, it's the support that they've given the locals that I love more. So yes, it's always about the produce and the produce are all the produce in Isla is fantastic but they have all supported so many locals through work and staffing as have a lot of the other distilleries but they also opened last July when other distilleries hadn't and that kept us all going so definitely Kilhoman I would have to I would have to pick one which is even more difficult um and the last drink I really should say water but I can't say water <laughs> Not many people do say water. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> do you know, I'm going to be really, really, really awful and say champagne because I just love champagne. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's not it's not Scottish, I'm afraid, but I'm a bubbles girl. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I would have to take the gin. I would have to take lots of gin, Colhoman distillery whiskey and champagne because life's too short without champagne. Yeah. So. Especially on a desert island. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
Um, and so the, the quick fire round is called My Life and Food. So it's five questions. Okay. If you tell me the first thing that comes into your oh head. Um, so whenever I'm hungry, I think of... Smoked salmon. Comfort food for me is... Chocolate. My favourite childhood dessert is... Oh, a crumble. Crumble, probably. Probably rhubarb crumble, which I'm making tonight, but, but rhubarb crumble. Nice. My food heaven is... Oh, gooey chocolate brownies. My food hell is... Oh, I like all foods. Eh... Can tell why I'm a big girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would be my food hell is having to eat processed foods. That's fine. Sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. I like them all. Rosalind, thank you very, very much for coming to Isla and taking time to speak to us all. I so appreciate it. That's okay. Thank you so much for everything you've done and all spilling all my horrible questions. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be silly. Thank you. Thanks to Darren, Harold and Emma for joining me on this episode and thanks to you for listening. Remember to rate, view and subscribe. On the next episode, I discover Isla's much love whiskey history and why these drams draw visitors year after year. Scran is a laudable production that's hosted and co-produced by me, Rosalind Erskine and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton.